Next on Abounding Grace, the overwhelming faithfulness of God. This is amazing grace. We are delighted to be with you again. It's such a pleasure and honor to open the scriptures together with you here on Abounding Grace. Today, we'll be talking about the faithfulness of God, and I know you'll be encouraged as we do. It's with 2 Kings chapter 24 in view that we bring you part one of the overwhelming faithfulness of God. The overwhelming faithfulness of God is something that's easily overlooked, something that we can dismiss and take for granted. And one of the ways that God shows himself faithful is through faithful leaders. And I think all of us are very grateful for the faithful leaders that God has put into our lives, like King Josiah. I'm sure that the nation, in the revival that we've been studying, was tremendously grateful for the work of God through this one man, this young leader. You know, he started to be a king as a kid. And as God raised him up, to make those hard decisions and to do those things that would bring the glory back to the Father in the midst of the people. God used him as a tool to bring a rampant revival, to revive the people and revive worship and revive so many things. If you weren't with us, that's the sum of our last few Bible studies, looking at some ingredients of revival looking at how they can be applied in our lives because at various times in our own personal life, at various times in the life of our own church, at various times in the life of, well, you could say the American portion of the church, maybe another country, we need revival. We need to be stirred up. We need to be brought back to a place of urgency and dependence upon the Lord. I think if everyone, if all of us just took a moment to think of different seasons in our lives, we're like, yeah, the Lord breathed new. We may not use the word revival. But it's like, well, the Lord did a new thing or God breathed new life or he gave me fresh vision. All of those things speak of revival where that faith that you have was lit back on fire and you're like, yes, Lord, let's do it. But I have to say, as often as the case, the revival can die off in times of comfort and ease where you begin to coast along. And when you add to that the death or the removal of a strong leader, evil is always looking for a way to take root in our lives, always looking and knocking and seeing who will answer. And just a little open door, just a little crack can cause great harm. So notice with me now as we pick up in verse 1. It says in chapter 24, In his days, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up, and Jehoiakim became his vassal for three years. And then he turned and rebelled against him. And the Lord sent against him raiding bands of Chaldeans, bands of Syrians, bands of Moabites, bands of the people of Ammon, he sent them against Judah to destroy it according to the word of the Lord which he had spoken by his servants the prophets. 
Surely at the commandment of the Lord, this came upon Judah to remove them from his sight because of the sins of Manasseh, according to all that he had done. And also because of the innocent blood that he had shed, for he had filled Jerusalem with innocent blood, which the Lord would not pardon. Verse 5. Now the rest of the acts of Jehoiakim and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? So Jehoiakim rested with his fathers, and Jehoiachin, his son, reigned in his place. And the king of Egypt did not come out of his land anymore, for the king of Babylon had taken all that belonged to the king of Egypt from the brook of Egypt to the river Euphrates. Now King Jehoiakim ruled as a puppet king, a vassal king, for about 11 years. He followed the strong leadership of Josiah with weak leadership. He basically paid his taxes and submitted to the leader of Egypt so that there would be some sort of peace among the people. He did evil in the sight of the Lord. He continued to go back in that path away from God. And so in this season, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, began to move rapidly to take over the known world eventually invading Judah in 605 B.C. And you'll recall that when Nebuchadnezzar came and invaded Judah, he took young men with him back to Babylon. And that's where the book of Daniel is, where he took back all of those young wise men and began to educate them in the ways of Babylon, or what we would say today, he began to educate them or even brainwash them in the ways of the world, in the world of that day even changing their names and their identity and their personality and such. And with Babylon's world domination, the king finally decides to pay tribute or taxes to him and not stand up for what is right. And as a result, the nation suffers more and more. And notice, you'll see this, you might even want to take a concordance out or one of your Bible programs and just put in the word Manasseh. And one thing you will notice over and over again is that the sins of Manasseh lasted for generations and for years. And here he is mentioned again. Why are we talking about Manasseh hundreds of years after he's died? It says in verse 3 that surely the commandment of the Lord, this came upon Judah to remove them from his sight because of the sins of Manasseh according to all that he had done. So why after about 50 years now after his death, why is Manasseh being mentioned? And here's why. It's a reminder to us that our lives affect people now and on into the future. And we really can't predict how things will be and how many people will be affected in the future. We just know it happens. I mean, on a very simple, uh, in a very simple way, I had a brother just text me a picture of his podcast and he, it was a picture of a real old graphic that we used to use here because he was studying through our Bible studies here uh, about 10 or 11 years ago. And so something that I did 10 or 11 years ago, something that I presented to the congregation that was here at that time, and that God had his way with the ministry and the Bible study that night, is now fast forward 11 years ago and blessing another congregation and blessing another guy and uh, Lord's using it in a great way. So I'm grateful that as I look at my life, with all of my mistakes and all of my failures, the general pattern of my life has been toward the Lord. Not a perfect man, not a man without sinful mistakes, not at all. But it's good to look back at your life and go, man, the trajectory of my life, because of the grace of God, has been toward the Lord. 
that at least up to this point, nobody's going to be able to write, oh yeah, by, by the way, God sent another guy to clean up the mess of Manasseh and he didn't do it. And he didn't take care of it. And so Manasseh's name's mentioned to warn us and remind us that sin has a rippling effect for a long time. It's not a, it's not a small thing to choose to sin. It's not a small thing to choose to compromise. Listen to what the Bible says in Exodus chapter 20, verse 5. It says, You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting iniquity on the fathers, on the children, to the third and the fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. Now let me just say that this verse and this section in another place is often used in a false way to teach a false doctrine that you may have heard as this thing of generational curses. That if you look back in the generations of your life and you had a particular act by a grandfather or a great-grandfather or a father, or even today you're looking at your own life and you see great failure, that the enemy has used that failure in the past or even in the present to scare you that now you've created some generational curse. Or sometimes it's used to say, well, you know, the issue that's in your life right now, it's not really your own personal responsibility. It's because of something generationally back. And instead of repenting of your sin and humbling yourself before God, the thing that you should do is break the generational curse. And then they'll always sell you some liquid, some oil, something. It always costs money to break the generational curse. I want you to know, according to the Bible, there is no such thing as a generational curse. That doctrine does not exist in the Bible. It is purely man-made. Now, I have to say that sin and bad habits can be passed down through generations. I mean, it makes sense, doesn't it? That if you grow up in a home of bad habits, so for example, I grew up in a home where both my parents were chain smokers. And I remember as a child, all throughout my life, the layers of smoke in our house. When the different direction of the light, you could see the smoke and everything was brown and dingy in our house because my parents were the type of parents that when they smoked a cigarette, as soon as they got toward the end, they'd take the next cigarette and light it from the old one. That's just what they did. That's how they were raised. That was the house. As a matter of fact, my granny's in heaven right now, but I remember very, very, very vividly my granny. She was a hard woman. She, she grew up with a hard life. And I remember visiting her. Not only did all of them smoke when we visited granny, but you know what my granny did? She rolled her own cigarettes. She bought the little can from the store, and she had the little machine, and she would cut them and lick. I mean, Granny was Granny, but praise God, she got saved later in life and became one of the sweetest, most wonderful women in the world. And so, what happened? My Granny smoked. My mom smoked. Guess what I did? I smoked. It was just in the house. It was just something you did. It was horrible, and it was hard, and it I hated it, but I did it because it was the pattern that was laid before me. However... Yeah, I, I chose to smoke. It wasn't some generational curse. And when I chose to smoke, I did it of my own free will, my own free volition. Sure, I had the, I had the examples. I'll tell you one thing that I did very uh, horribly. It wasn't the pattern laid down to me. When I started drinking, I didn't come from a home that drank. That wasn't in my home at all. There was no alcohol in my house. My parents didn't drink. They didn't party. They didn't believe in that. They didn't even have a testimony of that in their lives. 
That was something that I chose to do because of the environment that I was in and the people I chose to hang around with. Because the Bible says, evil company corrupts good habits. And whether I'm a follower of God or not, that the Bible is true. And it was true for me. And so we have to understand that parents, listen to me, listen carefully. This is so important. Your kids follow you. They see you the most. You're the one that gives them the greatest example. I know that there's peer pressure, and I know that there's a lot of stuff in the world, but you have been put in their lives to give them the type of example to emulate, the type of example even to stumble over if they choose to do something evil, that they could say one day, like I did, yeah, alcohol wrecked my life for a season, but it wasn't because of my parents' example. It was my decision. And even over their constant discipline and pleading with me to stop, it became too late. I went too far. And only the Lord could rescue me. And he did. The good news is that even if bad habits were passed down, even if you failed today, the type of behavior that might have entered into your life, entered into your home, can stop with you tonight by the power of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't need to be passed on. It is not too late to change. It is not too late to turn around. It's not too late to humble yourself. It's not too late. God is warning the children of Israel not to make the mistakes of their fathers or you'll get the same consequences. And notice in Exodus 20, if you're there or not, you can jot it down when you look at it. It says that the things in the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, what happens when the generation loves him? Things change. Things turn around. You know, love changes everything. And the Bible says, as we've seen, don't you know it's the goodness of God that leads to repentance? Again, jot it down in Exodus chapter 34, verse 6. It says, And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sins, but by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. It's simply not true to say or to teach that there are generational curses and that we are bound by the sins of your father or mother, your grandmother or your grandfather. The Bible clearly teaches that the sins of the parents can be visited upon the children. The children can suffer consequences, but not in the form of a curse. In Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 20, it says, The soul who sins shall die. Listen, this is freedom for some of you. The son shall not bear the guilt of the father, and the father shall not bear the guilt of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. Listen to it again. The son shall not bear the guilt of the father, nor the father bear the guilt of the of the son. Deuteronomy chapter 24 verse 16. Fathers shall not be put to death for their children, nor shall children be put to death for their fathers. A person shall be put to death for his own sin. Now here's the thing. Jesus Christ, the promised Messiah, was put to death for all our sin. This ends, Deuteronomy, at the cross. That the curse that was upon us of the wages of sin is death, was broken by Jesus Christ. 
that he alone is the one. And I'm thankful that he breaks the cycle of sin, that he did it in my family. He did it in my life. The Lord intervened because I put my faith and my trust in him. And he was able to then to work through my life. And the same could be true for you. You're not stuck in your sin. God is ready to deliver the one that will call out to him. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11, it says, Such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. God can and will stop that chain of sin as you turn to him. And so Manasseh, he's mentioned again. And notice that these things came because of, in verse 3, the sins of Manasseh. God was using Manasseh. Even though Manasseh was horrible and made many decisions, God still used him to fulfill his purposes, his prophetic purposes, in this case of judgment. Because we're reminded, turn over to Romans chapter 8, would you? We're reminded in the New Testament, in the New Covenant, that nothing is wasted by God. We see that in a real practical way in the, in the book of 2 Kings, but we know that God is the great promise giver. And when he promises, when he predicts, when he prophesies, it will come to pass for judgment and for good. And here in Judah's history, it's for judgment. Yet even in judgment, God is going to use Daniel, even in judgment, even in the invasion in 605 by Nebuchadnezzar, God is still going to use Daniel and his friends and that whole scenario through his life to bring great glory and honor to him. So nothing's wasted by God. Even in the disaster of the way it looks today and the uncertainty of what the future may hold, the Bible says in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, and I want you to see it in your own scriptures, so you might want to mark it, you might want to circle it, and it's good for us to be reminded that even though there's a Manasseh, there's a Romans 8.28 even for Manasseh. Even for the little Manassehs in our lives. And so we know, it says in verse 28, we know that some of, some of the things in your life work together. Is that what your Bible says? And we know that, say it with me, all things. You could even personalize that and say all things in my life. We know that all things in my life work together for good to those who love God. If you love God tonight, say amen. amen. Look, turn to someone and say, I love God. Go ahead, tell them. I love God. Turn to no one and say it. I love God. Say, <laughs> so tell God, I love you, Lord. You're so good to me. You're so faithful. And so notice, if you love God, all things are working together for the good, for those that are called according to his purpose. And this is meant to be a comfort to you. Romans 8.20, it's in the Bible to, to encourage you, to remind you. It's like a soft pillow to a weary head that I don't know what's going on. I don't know what the future holds, but I know who holds my future. I know that he's going to work this together. I don't know how it's all going to mix together. But yes, God's at work in this. Yes, God is using this somehow. Yes, God cares about me. Yes, God hasn't forgotten me. He hasn't forgotten about me. That somehow this ingredient is going to be mixed together in the, you know, the cake of my life. And it's going to come out good. It's really nasty right now. But God's going to work it out to be something really good. It's going to glorify Him. 
It's going to cause me to grow and become more like Jesus in his presence. I know it's not always comforting to hear this verse, especially to anyone struggling right now or anyone under the weight of great pain or sorrow or grief. It's not an easy verse to receive. It, it almost sounds like a platitude. It almost sounds like a cliche. It almost sounds like if someone shares it with you, like, well, you don't really understand what I'm going through. You don't really know what I've gone through. You don't know my sleepless nights. You don't know my difficulties. And, and let me just remind you that if someone's sharing Romans 8.28 with you, they don't mean to hurt you. They're not intending to hurt you. Even if they deliver it wrong or maybe have bad timing, maybe they don't understand. It's precise. I would, say, I would even put it this way. It's because we don't understand exactly what you're going through. And we're not walking in your shoes. And we aren't in your home or in your sleepless nights. That we grasp at anything in the scriptures that might give you hope in your current situation. Because we're not there. Maybe we walked a familiar path, but not your path. Maybe we experienced something similar, but not what you're experiencing. And so we're grasping at anything that might give you hope. They might remind you of God being on the throne. And if we ever have used this verse, and I'll speak for the body of Christ, if we ever have used this verse in a way that hurt or harm you, please forgive us. It certainly wasn't meant to hurt you. It was meant to remind you, maybe plant a seed in you. I can say many people shares this verse with me along the way in the past few years, and it wasn't always well received in my heart. Oh, outwardly, I'd say thank you because I was appreciative that somebody cared enough to share a scripture, text it to me, email it to me. I do appreciate that. But I know my feelings and my emotions so overwhelm me in the moment that it didn't immediately minister to me until I was in a place of reception and began to see, oh, yeah, the Lord is good. He is faithful. And I go down to another difficult, oh, the Lord is up and down, up and down, as anyone will tell you that live on emotion. Because emotions are so real, aren't they? There's nothing you could, I could ever do to talk you out of what you're feeling. You're feeling what you're feeling. That's why when you're sitting down to speak with someone, the worst thing you can do is try to talk them out of their feelings. How do you do that? How, how can you talk, you know, I'm just feeling like this. and they, Oh, no, Christians walk by faith, not by sight. It's true. But what's helpful in a, in a time of sitting down with someone with the Bible open is just acknowledge their feelings. And say, wow, man, it must be really hard to feel that way. Tell me what it's like. Invite yourself into their lives. If they let you in, great. If they don't, that's okay. And then the Holy Spirit will begin to minister to you because feelings are real. But listen, they don't always tell you the truth. That's why we don't walk by feelings. We walk by faith. And sight, feelings, there's a lot of sight. It keeps us, the idea of sight is not just what we see, but it's the distinction between the eternal and the temporary. And if all we measure life is by the temporary, we will be hopeless. There's no hope in the here and now. There's no hope in the circumstances and the situations. Our only hope is in the delivering power of Jesus Christ. His faithfulness that put the capstone of eternity on the difficulties of our present condition. He would even say it, Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, would, in, would, would say to us that my present difficulties, they don't even compare to the glory that's going to be revealed. You're listening to Abounding Grace and a study in 2 Kings 24 from Pastor Ed Taylor. 
To give this a second listen, all you need to do is visit AboundingGraceRadio.com, or you can listen through our app. That can be found in the App Store or Google Play by searching for Ed Taylor. Abounding Grace is made possible through the generosity of our listeners. Each gift that comes in serves to help us present the teaching of God's Word on both the radio and Internet. And think of this, you'll be helping thousands all over the world learn about God's amazing grace and how to grow by it. And today, when you give a donation of $25 or more, we'd like to say thanks by sending you a useful resource. It's Spiritual Leadership by Oswald Sanders. You'll receive key principles of leadership in both the temporal and spiritual realms. Sanders points to great examples like Moses, Nehemiah, the Apostle Paul, David Livingstone, and Charles Spurgeon. And you'll learn about the cost of leadership, the responsibility of leadership, as well as the qualities and criteria of leadership. Just call 877-30-GRACE to make your request and donation today. You can also order online at calvaryco.store. Well, thanks again for joining us today for Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. May God richly bless you with His abounding grace. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado and online at AboundingGraceRadio.com.